Apple family, welcome. If you are new, my name is Ryan and I am your pastor. And I promise lights will be coming soon so I can see you. There you are. Uh, this is what we call our faith candle. It's something that we light every time we hear a story of someone making a first-time decision to follow Jesus. And it is lit this week because one of the chapel family members had the privilege of one of their neighbors saying that they were now wanting to follow and become a follower of Jesus. So praise God for that. Um, absolutely. The, the end goal, like the, the big vision, is that we would have this candle lit every week. And that if a bunch of people make decisions to follow Jesus, we want a bonfire on one side of the stage, and then we want a baptismal on the other side. So we just light people on fire, and we throw them in the baptismal, and that's just the rotation that I want to see. I mean, not literally light them on fire if you're new. That's not me. You'll get to know me soon. Um, so today we are closing Ecclesiastes. Everyone say, ah. I have loved the series on Ecclesiastes, mostly because Solomon has been this massively depressing guy. He basically goes from saying, I'm going to figure out what makes life good, and he does everything that we search for. He got more money, he got more stuff, he had more relationships, and then he tells us, actually, none of this stuff matters. Life is terrible. Go eat with a friend because you're going to die tomorrow. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. And today, in the last few verses, he's going to give us the bookend. He's going to say, here's the final bits of wisdom that I need you to cling to, that I need you to rest your life on. But before we jump into that, I need to do this. So did everyone get a piece of paper coming in today? If you didn't, that's okay. You just get a C for your homework assignment. And C's get degrees still, but it doesn't make your parents happy. Um, So if you have this paper, I want you to take time to fill it out. Sometime in the first part of the sermon. And and here's what it says. It says, what are your primary identities? Or how do you see yourself? So if you were to describe yourself to someone, I want you to write down like, oh, I'm I'm a parent. I'm an excellent husband. I'm a rock star employee. Or however you would describe yourself. I'm a couch potato. I'm a whatever. You got the point? Okay, then the next one is, and you might need help from your spouse with the next question. It says, what is broken in this world or in your life? And if you don't know what you think of as broken, lean over to someone who knows you and say, what do I complain about all the time? Okay? So do you need to do that right now? So everyone look to your neighbor and say, what do I complain about all the time? Even if you're here by yourself, it'll be awkward. Okay, now you've given them the freedom to answer you. So wives, this is your chance. Just come in. Come in on the husbands. Husbands, don't fall for it. Just say, sweetheart, I never hear you complain about anything. Okay? The third question is, who or what do you turn to in order to find relief or freedom from the broken things in this life? So an example could be something like this. I see myself as a dad, as an employee, and one of the things that I find broken, uh, that my checking account always seems to have a balance that's far too low. And I complain about it all the time. So what do I do to fix that? I throw myself into work. I overexert myself. I work 60, 70, 80 hour weeks because I've got to just drum this up. So that's what I'm looking to, to find freedom from that one area of brokenness. And then I want you to answer this question, writing it out for me. What would your perfect world look like if you were the king or the queen of the world and you could change everything in your life with a snap of a finger? What would your world look like? Would you have a castle on a hill? Would you have a ranch in Florida? Would you have retirement in beach days from the age of 35 onward? Are you getting the picture? 
Okay, now here, uh, we don't normally do this, but here's why we're, I'm having you guys do it this week. Because next week, we kick off our new sermon series, Finding Jesus Between the Trees. And that's what the artwork on the back chalkboard is about. Well, this whole idea that there's a story of God, and he's laid it out. And sometimes in church, we use these words often, and we don't define them. They're, they're stained glass words. They're junk drawer words, and we throw them out. So if I say the word gospel, for example, some of you instantly think of music with choir robes, good beats and maybe some rap in the middle there. Some of you think of old wooden churches in the south. When, when I say gospel, I'm referring to the whole story of God. And next week as we launch this new sermon series, what we're going to be doing is shifting a little bit of what you may know and recognize as church because I want to teach us and bring the good news of Jesus into our lives and show you where your story fits into the story of Jesus. We're going to walk through every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to bring out different points and different aspects of the good news of Jesus, and I'm going to literally, we're going to lay it on each other's lives, and that's where these come in, because I want to know what is going on in your lives, the things that you care about, the things that you think are broken, because God's Word speaks to those things. Sometimes we relegate Christianity and the church to one pocket on one day, rather than realizing that if we fold into God's big story, what we call the meta-narrative, the big picture, then everything in life begins to fall into place according to his plan. Amen? Okay, so I need you to do that, and then at the end of service, you can put it in the basket, you can drop it off at guest services, and I'm going to collect them all for my homework this week. Now let's pray as we sadly close Ecclesiastes. We'll get into these final verses. Father, I thank you for the life uh, that, that you've called to yourself this week, the person that made a decision to follow you. I pray that at the chapel family, more and more Bible studies would pop up in neighborhoods, that more and more of us would invite our neighbors over to pray, that more and more of us would take the mission that you've given us to raise people up to know and love you and love others. Now, God, as we close Ecclesiastes, I ask that you would give us one final boost, one final dose of wisdom from Solomon, and that we would see in this passage Jesus lifted high, Father, I pray for those right now who are feeling distracted with a hundred things going on in life that they find it so hard to focus. I pray that you would supernaturally grant them focus, that you would give them the ability to turn their eyes and ears and hearts and souls toward you in this moment so that we could change and never be the same. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 is where we will be starting. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Everyone say, great care. Just making sure you're with me. I've had a lot of coffee today. The preacher sought to find words of delight. Everyone say, delight. Making sure you're with me. And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. So, so here's Solomon. This is his final farewell. It's like when you have a long message to somebody and you want to pack in everything in that last paragraph. Or it's like when somebody's going to go on a far trip and you want to tell them everything that you wanted to tell them. One of the things that I love about the age of my kids now is that they love me. I know that's going to change when they're in their teen years, but right now they love me. Every time I leave the house, my son Silas, he says goodbye to me probably a dozen times. He comes up and he says, just one more kiss, Daddy. Just one more hug, Daddy. Please, Daddy, just say goodbye. My older son, Jackson, he's already at the age, you know, second grade. If I'm taking him to school, I'm like, oh, give me a kiss. He's like, ew, Dad. I'm like, ew, I birthed you. I mean, Amy, your mom birthed you. I, 
you, you, I'm your dad, but he's there. He's getting cool, and he doesn't want his friends to see. Last year, he wanted me to come visit him at lunch. I visited him one lunch period because he thought it would be the coolest thing ever. And at the end of the day, he said, Dad, you don't ever have to come back for lunch again. I said, why not, buddy? And he said, I think my friends think you're nerdy. I said, I am nerdy. They nailed it. Because I was dancing. He didn't like that. So it's sad. So I'm, I'm milking the moments right now with my younger son, Silas. I'm milking them with Savannah. When I walk in the door at any given day, they run up, and they just want to hug me and hold me. I know all the parents of teens are like, I love those years. Because now you come in, and they just verbally assault you. Now, now here's Solomon is, is cherishing the last words the last moments he has with us. He wants to sit us down, because remember, he's an old man at this point. He's sitting us down like grandkids saying, okay, just, just one more thing. I want you to know that, that I took great care to organize my wisdom. Now, if we have to categorize the way the world is currently on the scale of foolishness to wisdom, and by the world I mean myself and you, we're not going to point fingers at others like us. The foolishness spectrum seems to be tipping a little bit in one particular direction as of the last 50 years, give or take. There seems to be less common sense. It seems to be more common that people don't live by natural ways of thinking and rules. It seems to be more common that people are, are giving into these ideas that don't work as well. And we just sort of follow along with the culture. And Solomon has these beautiful books for us. He has the Proverbs. Everyone say Proverbs. Now, Proverbs are snippets of wisdom. This is how God has generally wired the world to be. And Solomon says, I organize these. I thought through these. I have them for you. If you, if you are lacking wisdom or you know someone that's lacking wisdom, simply go up to them with the book of Proverbs and say, hey, I think we should read this together so that we can grow and understand how God wired the universe and then Solomon also wrote the book Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. That's a book about sex. It's the Jewish manual on sexuality. So if you want somebody to be more interested in God's view on sexuality, you should ask them to do a Bible study on the Song of Songs. I've tried to get my wife to do it every year. She refuses every year. So I read it by myself, sadly. And then we have Ecclesiastes giving us that picture that the things that we're taught to pursue in this world don't actually satisfy us, that there's something deeper, something more. And Solomon says, I've arranged these proverbs. I've arranged this wisdom, the, the wisdom nuggets, the manual on sexuality, and the Ecclesiastes book of despair. I've arranged them so that you can find delight. Now, if I were to ask you to just tell me with one word, what comes to your mind when you hear the word church? I'm going to ask you right now. So you can answer with one word. Just raise your hand. One word, when you hear the word church, what comes to your mind first? And Jesus, thanks for the Sunday school answer. Next. People, family. Okay, now let me ask you another question. If you can use one word to describe the, the emotion of church, how people feel about church or in church, what would you, how would you describe it? Powerful, loving, joyful. Now, I love these answers. You know why these answers uh, are the ones that I love? Because we have no fifth graders in here right now. If we had fifth graders in here right now, they have a slightly different perspective on church gatherings. If you ask a kid, if you just pick a random church, not this church, I'm saying a random church, and you start 
polling kids, and you say, hey, how do you feel about church? Oh, man, you're going to get some real good answers. Because you know kids, right? They're the ones that will tell you anything that's on your face, even if you're in public. Kids are the ones that give you the brutally honest answers about your genes. Kids are the ones that mom should never ask, does this make my butt look big? Because kids don't know how to avoid that punishment. Husbands barely know how to do it, but kids for sure don't. Now, if you ask people all around, you know, tell me, you know, what emotion do you feel at church? Some churches will give you, I think, the right emotion. Joy, love, family. I love those concepts. But a lot of answers that come to me are boring. If I ask people outside the church where I hang out sometimes and I write my messages, if I'm at a bar somewhere or at Cherries, I'll ask random strangers, hey, tell me what you think about Christianity or the church. Judgmental, hypocritical, and they lay these things out, and my heart just sinks and sinks and sinks until it's in my stomach. Solomon wrote these words, and the Bible exists, and, and Jesus came so that we would have a vibrant joy. Now, does anyone here have something against joy? Does anyone wake up and they think, this morning, I'm going to be a Grinch because that's my life goal? Nobody. Does anybody like hanging out with the Grinch? Now, if you're married to them, that doesn't count. Like, if you have to hang out with them, that doesn't count. But do you love hanging out with the most sour, grinchy people? No, we avoid them, right? If we work with them, if their cube is right here, and our cube is right here, and coffee's right there, we do this. Because we don't want to see them. We don't loan them our stapler because they'll complain that the staples weren't sharp enough. We don't let them borrow things from us because we know if we get it back, they're going to have chewed the end out of their nervous, grinchy stress. The Bible calls us to delight, delight, to have joy that wells up from within. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. I think sometimes we make the Bible all about these rules and principles that we have to go, bam, I did it, bam, I did it, bam, I did it, not realizing that God's in heaven looking at us saying, I'm super glad that you're doing that, except for you're not happy about any of it. God doesn't want us to begrudgingly follow the commands. He wants us to be joyful in them. The the Bible says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And if you read the Psalms over and over, it says have a glad heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understandings. Delight yourself in his ways. Delight. Now, what gives you delight? Because some of us think, oh, I don't know if I really delight in God. It is a really simple litmus test. Right now, um, as many of you know, I started P90X, and I got called out because I told you during the Olympics, don't let me do a health kick because I felt like the Olympics was stirring in this false assurance that I was going to try to be healthy, and it did. And I have a fitness thing that tells me how much I'm walking now. Let's see if I'm doing this okay. 2,500 steps. I'm beating all of you right now so far. And I did P90X this week, so I'm eating chicken breasts and broccoli. I even had kale three days. And for those of you who know me, you know that I'd rather, yeah, don't even clap for that. Don't even clap. That's like clapping for someone that threw up a little bit and swallowed it. It's just bad. Uh, Kale is bad. So I'm doing this healthy thing. I'm doing squats. I can't sit down. It So you want to know what I delight in right now? Do you want to know what would give me delight? I would would almost kill somebody, not you guys, because I love you. I'd almost kill a stranger that I didn't like. If I could leave this place and just get pizza, and I just want to go to the pizza shop and say, I would like a pizza, and I want you to kill it with bacon. And then I want you to put strips of bacon on top of the pizza killed with bacon, and I want a beer. 
I would delight in that. But instead, I'm going to go eat lettuce like a bunny and grilled chicken. And it's not going to give me delight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, I know what I would delight in. I know what it feels like when I've got that perfectly cooked slice of New York pizza with cheese melting off the sides and bacon and sausage. I know what this feels like. Oh. And now you do too. I know what that feels like. And God says, spirituality like that. If you want that, reach into the words that I've written. Reach into the Proverbs to see how the universe is wired and press in for that. Press in for that level of pizza salivating joy when you're singing your favorite song. Press in for that level of salivating joy when you're going to him in prayer. If you go to him in prayer every day and it feels like a wall just bouncing boredom back at you, don't keep doing the same thing. Do something different. And, and everyone gets into ruts. I get into ruts all the time, so I change things up. As many of you know, I have a prayer wall that I have a lot of you on. It's, it's a wall with a poster of inspirational quotes from one of my favorite pastors. And then it's got my pictures of my church heroes who are all dead guys. So I start with the dead guys. I'm saying, God, make me more like these men. God, help me live by these principles. And then I have pictures of you for most of my wall. Those of you who I know, those of you who have said, could you please put me on your prayer wall? And you've sent me pictures, I printed them out, and I I just stick them on my, I print them out, I stick them on my wall. It's like a big Instagram collage vomit thing. And I just sit there and I, I go through them and I start praying. And you know what? That's changed my prayer life radically. Because before what I was doing is going through a list of names. But now I'm seeing faces. Before I was just saying, okay, i got to pray for this. I'm praying for the A's today. I'm praying for the B's today. I'm praying. And I still do that, but, oh, it's far more compelling to go to my wall, and I could just point. I could point. This guy, I know what's going on. I know what's going on. This family, man, they need this right now. These kids, these kids are rascals. They need Jesus bad. This, this marriage is on the brink this, this illness, this whatever, and I just go through and I, I'll touch them, I'll pray for them. My kids come in now and they'll say, Daddy, who are we going to pray for? And they only pick people on the bottom row because so, they're short. I, pick, I pray for all the top people. So the people I love the most, I put you at top. And the people I want my kids to love, I put you at the bottom. And I'm just kidding, I don't do that. I just, where I have space. So my kids, um, who have they prayed for? My kids have prayed for um, uh, Charles and Aaron. You guys are there and the Yorks are right next to them. And, uh, and Hi- Heidi and Rick, you guys are there at the bottom. And uh, Jared, you're like in the middle because I like the picture. Who else is at the bottom right there? Oh, we have Ken and Lori Woods families at the bottom. And then right at the very end, my brother-in-law is at the I pray for my brother-in-law because he's an in-law. You know, you got to do that. And then at the top, we got, now this changed my prayer life. If you're saying, well, Ryan, how do I, how do I get this delight? How do I change it? Well, here's, it's easy. So if you go to a pizza place, we're gonna, I'm running with pizza for as long as I can, okay? I'm so hungry, you guys. P90X is the worst. Uh, if, if, you're, if you go to a pizza shop and they have the worst pizza ever, you go there, their mozzarella, it's like chewing a used U-Haul box, their pepperoni is more like lunch meat, it's disgusting. Do you ever go back there again? No, right? One sane person in the room. The rest of them are lying or they don't even know about pizza. Because there's a type of pizza that melts into your soul and brings life flourishing from within you. It's when the pizza is stretchy. It's when the sausage was just butchered out back behind the pizza shop and they ground it up just for you. It's where they sprinkle pixie dust and love upon it before they serve it to your table. Now, we know how to do it with food, but too many of us don't know how to do that with God. We think, okay, wait a second. 
Um, I don't like bad pizza. I like good pizza. I don't like bad prayer, but that's all that I know how to do. Or I don't like bad Bible study, but that's all that I've ever experienced. Or I don't like bad church, but I've got to go to church or God will lightning bolt me, right? Well, let's, let's change the way we're thinking about life with God. Let's press into the principles that Solomon has given us in this book. Let's trust that God's word is meant for our delight and for our knowledge and to lead us in upright words of truth. Do you know who embodies the truth? Now you can give me the Sunday school answer. Starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus. Jesus embodies the truth. So the more Jesus we have in our lives, the more truth will flourish, the more joy will grow. That's an easy way to tell if you're growing in God. If you're coming to church and getting increasingly grumpier, you're probably not getting increasingly close to God. Because as you grow in Jesus, your joy and thankfulness for all that he's done for you on the cross will grow and grow and grow. And I've shown you guys this picture. I've done this before. When you become a Christian, when I became a Christian, here's the line, pagan, 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 heathen, heathen, pagan, pagan. And Jesus was like, stop. And the cross started there. And the pastor said, you are a sinner. And I said, I know. And he was a youth pastor at a church that was full of churchy kids. So he was trying to convince the youth group that they were sinners. I needed no convincing. I knew I was a sinner. So I said, what do I do about this problem? He said, follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, he loves you because you're a lying, lusting thief. I said, yes, 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 okay. So then when I got saved, I was, God was this good, I was this bad, and the cross was this big. And then as life went on, I began to realize I'm way worse than I thought I was. I, God's even better than I thought he was. So God's this good, I'm this bad, and that means Jesus had to die for this much. And then as life goes on, different things happen, right? You get married, and then when you have two sinners living together, that always makes life easier, right? All the engaged people are like, yeah! The married people are like, oh! Because sinners living together, hard, collisions. You have two selfish humans whacking into each other. Now, that's my toothpaste. That's my toothpaste. You roll the toothpaste up wrong. You put the toilet paper on backwards. Towels aren't for this. Towels aren't for that. I just legitimately thought that towels could be used for oil changes. I didn't know there was bath towels and shop towels. Okay. And so I'm worse than I think I am. You have kids. You find out I'm even more selfish than I thought I was. So all of a sudden now, you're beginning to realize you are far more wretched than you ever knew you were. And as you read the Bible, God is far more glorious than you ever knew he is. And what has to bridge that gap? The cross of Jesus And all of a sudden you realize he loved you more than you ever knew before. And then when we're 50 years old, 60 years old, 70, 80, 90 years old, as we grow, we can get to the end of our lives. And and I love where I'm at now because most days when my wife says something bad about me, I can say I'm even worse. Most days when she says, oh, you're being so selfish, I'm like, I'm probably even more selfish than that. Now, I don't always do that. Sometimes I, you know, I defend, build the wall, walk away, throw a dagger, and then I come back and repent later. But it's getting easier and easier the longer that I'm with Christ to acknowledge I am worse than I think I am. And God's even better than I knew he was. But that means that the the chasm that Jesus bridged only grows. And my heart of gratitude and joy grows with it. So this is why we press into the words of truth. This is why we delight in God. Let's keep going on. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, And like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. How many shepherds? One shepherd. This is foreshadowing going on here. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So so here's what Solomon's telling us. 
How many, how, how many people are nerds in here with me? I'm a nerd. I love reading, researching. Okay, so we've got, we've got a fair number of nerds. That's scary. Um, so nerdy people like me, we love to read. I mean, if you give us a good article, we just want to chew that thing down. And we want to talk about it. We want to blog about it. We want to post about it. If you give a nerdy person a fiction book, they're going to be like, oh, give me nonfiction. We like just nose up to everybody. Right, that's us, nerdy people. And by the way, I got new glasses because the glasses I got last week, every one of you that posted on Facebook and shot them down meanly, thank you, not thank you, I got new ones. And I'm still wearing nerdy glasses. Okay, back to my side note. I'll wait for my side note. Uh, Solomon tells us this, wise words, the, the canon of scripture, the wisdom literature, it's like a goad, not a goat, a goad. A goad is what you used to move a goat. So if a goat is going over toward a cliff, a shepherd would take a goad and goad it in the neck or shoulder and turn it away from danger. If they needed to move their flock, uh, sheep get led, goats get prodded. In the wisdom literature, in the Bible, will prod us to go somewhere. Now here's what Solomon wants us to know. If you're following the words of wisdom, you will be moving somewhere. You will be guided and goaded to go somewhere because we have one shepherd, Jesus, who is leading us somewhere. And he says, beware, beware of anything beyond the goading words, the words that move you, because of making books, there is no end. Now, I love reading. I, when I say I love reading, I don't know if love is even strong enough of a word. Because, like, Jesus is my all. And then my wife and my kids, like, I just would do anything for them. And then after that, it's books. And then after books, it's you. No, I'm just kidding. It's probably you first. No, no, it's books first, okay? Um, I'm trying to think of who I'd give up if I had to in, like, a Russian roulette sort of situation. And I could find new friends. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's you and then books. But I really love books. Um, At different seasons in my life, I read more, I read less. I try to read about a book a week, give or take, um, because I'm a nerd. And then what I read in here is so utterly convicting. And if you're not a book person, just substitute the word book for Netflix, okay? Because you're one of the two, usually. If you are pouring your life into things that aren't God's wisdom, you will tend to grow weary in the flesh, is what the verse says. And what he's talking about is this. You can find a million things to do that aren't going to goad you, that aren't going to move you toward God. There are a million things to do. When I get home, I don't have to, I don't naturally fall into discipline. I don't naturally like trip over a book and my Bible opens up and I think, oh, it's time for prayer again. That doesn't happen. There's distractions that will pull at all of us. There's distractions that will pull at all of us before we even get home. Sometimes we are still thinking about work things when we hit the garage door opening button. And then our kids rush in, and they're so cute. And all they want to do is play Pokemon Go in 90-degree Florida weather. Sometimes it's things that are outside of our control. Do you know what I did for two and a half days this week? Watched weather videos. Do you know how often I've done that ever in my life? Never. Because you know what's in California? Earthquakes. Earthquakes are way easier than hurricanes. Because an earthquake, you don't know what's coming. You're just walking down the road, and then all of a sudden, you just do like an 80s dance. And then it's done. But this hurricane thing, I mean, they, these news people are good, right? 
They suck you in. They make you think like it's the end of the world. It's biblical proportions. You, you better watch out. Hermine. My favorite is that like half the time people were calling it Hermione, the Harry Potter wizard. I thought that was funny. Hermione is coming in. She's going to cut across or he, whatever it is, and it's going to be a category one right before it hits. So I'm at home. I'm like on my phone. Oh, a category one. Then I had to Google, what's worse, category one or five? You know, I didn't know. And then it hits, and I'm like, have you seen wind like this, babe? We had bamboo that normally stands like this. It was standing like this. This is crazy. It's raining so much. I'm from California, so like our, identity, our version of rain is like somebody in the sky with an eyedropper from 30,000 feet. Boom, bloom. It's pouring here. I was like, I couldn't even tell which way the rain was coming from. It was forced gump rain. It was ice coming from sideways and upwards. And now I was like, this is everywhere. I start going on Facebook. People are like, I'm losing power. Our trees are falling. I'm like staring at my tree for two and a half days. I never do this. I never do. Now, that was a naturally occurring event, and it distracted me. I wasn't reading any books. I wasn't logging extra time in prayer. I was literally watching frantic people on whatever the Tampa news station is. Just walking around, oh, the storm's coming, oh, the storm's coming. I was on Facebook constantly, storm's here, storm's here, storm's here. And then it was all said and done, and I realized um, my house is still here. I didn't lose a tree. My power's still on. I literally just lost 24 hours of my life. Now, people say, well, that wasn't a storm at all. That wasn't a big one. I get that. You, you know, Floridians, you, just, you have hurricane-scented deodorant. I get it. Uh, but, but, but what you have to realize is, Hermine, while it didn't take a tree, it didn't take my car windshield, it didn't take my power this time, it literally stole a day of my life. And, and that's unusual for me because usually I, I try to be more regimented and I try to like read even if I'm just on my phone reading through things. And Hermine just stole it. I, I lost a lot. This storm murdered a day of my life. And, and if you think that's bad, we do it voluntarily every day. Solomon says, you can either come to these words that will give you life and joy. You can either come to the God who is the living water or you can turn away to things that will destroy your days. You can flip on something, relax a minute, do this, and then all of a sudden before you know it, your day can erode and all that you have to remember for it is a series of reruns on a show. And I'm not against reruns. I've watched Star Trek more than all of you. I'm 100% sure of it. But if at the end of the day we're going to bed at night and our life is lacking in joy, I think it should be pretty easy to trace back why we're there. Or if at the end of the day we lay our head down on our pillow and we think, this was a good day. I think we'll also know why our life was there. I'll bet you that the day that, that our chapel family member got to pray with somebody who decided to follow Jesus for the first time, I'll bet you they were fired up going to bed that night. That is more exhilarating than the season finale of Lost. That is more exhilarating than the best pizza slice you could get because somebody's life changed. And it's not, it's what we do here at the chapel and what we're going to really press into in this next sermon series. It's not that what happens up here changes people's lives. This is where we come to gather as a family, to sing together, to hear the good news of God together and the Bible together. And then we're to go out and bring that good news to a lost and hurting world. And, and Solomon says, I've come 
to give you these wise words that move you, that goad you, that call you to action, not words that set you down on your behind. One of my favorite um, illustrations from Pastor Francis Chan and one of our Bible study groups did it this week was the one he has about his daughter cleaning her room. And he says, you know, I, I tell my daughter, go clean your room. And she marches upstairs. And, and here's, what, here's what we don't expect. We don't expect our child to come back downstairs after two hours and say, Dad, I heard what you said about cleaning my room. And I went in my room and I thought about it. Did you clean your room? No, but I thought about it for two hours. Go back upstairs and clean your room, right? We're escalating voices. We've gone from nice dad voice to half Batman voice. They go back upstairs, and none of us expects our daughters, unless they're pastor's kids, so my kids are going to do this to me, I'm sure, because they're sarcastic. They're going to come downstairs after two more hours and say, Dad, I thought about it. I even translated your words from English to Greek, and I, I looked at the context, and, and I studied it. I, just, I broke down every word, Dad. And I'll say, did you clean your room? No, but I studied it and thought about it and I prayed about it in my heart. And then I'm going to send them back upstairs until they clean their room or I have to go to jail. Now, we do this in Christianity. We say, well, I gathered and I studied about it and I parsed the Greek or I translated the Hebrew. I did all of these pieces and then I prayed and I felt really good. But if we don't take what we're learning here and exercise it out there, it will not lead to a joy-giving, joy-filled life. It has to be words that motivate us to go. God doesn't have snow days. He doesn't have hurricane days where we get to stay home. Every day that you're alive is a day and an opportunity you have to bring joy and God's love to their lives, which is why we have these chips. And I know you guys have forgotten about them because I haven't done them in a while. Some of you are anxiously patting your pocket like it's there and you know it's not. Love God and love others. Share the gospel and show the gospel every day because this is what God's word compels us to do. Now here's the end of it all for Solomon though. The end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing that should terrify you, whether good or evil. This is his final words. Fear God. Now in the Old Testament, the Old Testament concept of fearing God is the New Testament version of putting your faith in God, trusting God, believing that he is God and we are not God, that he is in control and we are not in control. And Solomon, at the end of this book, says, I'm, I want to leave you with this. Be connected to God in all that you're doing because the God of the universe knows all of the secret things. Now, if I were a really good and angry preacher, I would leverage the God knows your secret things, so you better watch out, right? Because let's be honest, if we're, if we're going by Santa's naughty and nice list, I'm never buying my kids presents, ever. My kids, or I would have never got presents as a kid, because if I'm weighing out the naughty and nice, or, or let's imagine it differently to put a little bit more of a, a chutzpah on it. If you're putting a naughty and nice list out for your spouse, how is that going for them? Year one, maybe happy. I know some couples are rocky in year one. Year two, a little less happy. That was the year of the towels, I think, for us. Year three, the toothpaste. Year four, 
the toilet paper, it rolls this way over the top. Everybody, I've converted my family. Yeah, that's right. That's what we can clap for at the chapel. People coming to Jesus and proper toilet paper placements. And then what happens is, is that somewhere along the line, you begin to see only the bad things in your spouse. We've talked about this, right? When, when you get married, you're, you're, the people that used to have the consult to your anger and patience, they knew the buttons to push. When you get married, you hand your spouse just that one button. By your seventh anniversary, they play an orchestra with every button to push that makes you go crazy. You know what I'm talking about? It's the, it's the trash lid. It's this, it's that. And, and we all do it. God knows every secret thing. Now, if I were going to be an angry pastor, I would say, God knows every secret thing, so you better clean up your act, mister. And I think you should clean up your act because some of your acts are a hot mess. I've seen it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But here's what I, I know. While we are a hot mess of a people, while we are a broken, ragtag band of misfits, what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that Solomon is writing this and he's pointing to one shepherd who will come later, Jesus Because Jesus looked at all of your secret things and said, I see everything that you've done, everything that you thought, and I will love you through it all. And this is what we call good news. The fact that God could stare into every part of your life, that he could be in the midst of every every anger thing you've had, every relationship explosion, that he could be in the midst of every time you've yelled at your children, that he could be there next to you in your passenger seat every time you're road raging on the 75, that he could be with you every time you're at work and you just gossip around the gossip well, every time that God could be with you in those moments. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of this growing chasm, God can still say, I love you. I love you and nothing you can do can separate you from my love. That's Romans 8. If you don't believe me, this is in the Bible. It's not my words. God says nothing can separate you from the love of God because of what Jesus did. Did. Now, this message needs to be the most common message at every church in America because we've lost it. We've turned into a, a nation of churches that say, just do more, try harder, do more, try harder, do more, try harder, never realizing that this is a treadmill that goes nowhere. And that's where Solomon leads us to. At the very end of his big quest that he, he took us through of, I did this, I did that to find meaning and worth. In the end, he says, You've got to connect yourself with God, follow his ways, and life will go well. And as the Bible unfolds the story, we learn that his ways are this, trusting that Jesus is all that we need, because then we'll know that he is truly all that we have. When we stand before God, I don't need to get out my naughty and nice list anymore, because it it got crucified on the cross. When I stand before God, I don't carry a bag of shame for things that I thought I hid well because I got to leave my shame at the cross. When I go before God, I don't go with a guilty, fear-filled face that this cosmic police officer is about to spank me or bolt me or destroy me because if my faith is in Jesus, if I'm, if I'm connected to Jesus, I get to stand before God. And the Bible says we are clothed with Christ. So the day that I breathe my last here and show up there, God looks at me and sees his son who did everything that we should have done and took all of the stuff that we had done secretly and wrong and put it on the cross. And he'll say, welcome home. Welcome home. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Ecclesiastes. 
I thank you that you welcome us home. Lord, um, there are people in here who have been living under the burden of religious do-ism life. There are people in here who have been raised in churches who thought that you were simply perched on a mountain waiting to punish them. And it is true, God, you, you did perch on a mountain, but it wasn't to punish us. It was to take our punishment upon your cross, upon your son. So I pray that that is the mountain we would turn to. I pray that we would turn to the mountain where, where you sent Jesus to perch for us, to die for us. And I pray that as we end Ecclesiastes, that we would, with renewed vigor, pursue the joyful life of living for you. God, I pray for those in this room that, that don't yet follow you, that have not yet committed to, to serve you, to be connected to you, to obey your commandments. I pray that they would not just walk out, but that they would ask questions, that they would linger around and, and want to know you more. I pray for those whose Christianity has become stale bread, that you would lead them to, to send me messages, that you would lead them to connect with friends who have vibrant walks and relationships with you so that they would not have to exist in that dry, begrudging version of Christian faith, that we would have joy, that it would be full. God, I love you. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for loving us. May we never be the same. In Jesus' name.